0: Are you ready? mm hmm do <laughs> Wow, 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 Get a shift on. I'm gonna get a Crowler shift on. Do you see this thing? I do. <laughs> How big is this? It's real big. It doesn't say. <laughs> Oh, 750 milliliter.
1: Just waiting for you to swallow into the microphone that I was going to kick you in the dick. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Brothers and Who, a Married to Who spinoff podcast in which me, Jake, and my brother, Alex, watch Doctor Who in whatever fucking order we want. We're still in our ongoing series of watching every companion and judging them in this series we watch every companion's first and final episode and then talk about that companion and rank them against each other this time we're here to talk about liz shaw to do so we watched spearhead from space and inferno in this exercise we don't we don't really deep dive into the companion that we're talking about if you want something like that go check out the companion piece podcast uh what we do do <laughs> is use it as an excuse to watch some episodes that we maybe wouldn't have picked at this moment and so we are watching for episode spirit from space and inferno how this works is we'll talk about each episode and kind of sprinkle in a little emphasis on the companion in question and then after we talk about the stories we will maybe talk a little more about the companion usually we dig in more into the actor that plays that companion let's get started alex yo we haven't done this in three months it's been a while we're gonna be a little out of practice yeah but let's start with spearhead from space written by robert holmes directed by Derek martinez aired january 3rd through the 24th 1970 as always i ask you to guess where it fell in the Doctor Who Magazine fifty 50th, 50th anniversary poll of just the classic stories. What is your guess? 68. To refresh everyone's memory, there's 156 stories. Spirit from Space. Didn't look this up ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> Number 20. Oh, I knew it was good, but damn, okay. There is only one third doctor story higher than this and it's inferno (laughs) okay so since we're here guess where inferno landed
0: uh ooh, 21
1: (laughs) i said there's only one third doctor story higher than it higher meaning a lower number yeah this was 20
0: oh i thought this was like 28 sorry (laughs) wait this was okay so then 15
1: it's number 11. Oh. Just outside the top 10. Which, like, I don't know who's voting on this fucking 50th anniversary thing, but I could think of 25 stories from the 60s that I like more than Inferno. Anyway, we'll get there. Yeah. We're talking about Spirit from Space. What'd you think of it?
0: I liked it. I liked the story and uh, kind of... This being this doctor's first story because for the first two and a half episodes, he didn't realize there was some other thing going on. Is that am I remembering that right?
1: He didn't, no. yeah.
0: He was just there, which is great. Um, also, is the name of the title like the title of the story is it just spearhead because when they were entering the atmosphere, it was like a diamond because they didn't mention it at all?
1: No idea. Okay. The novelization, which I started reading this week, is called Doctor Who and the Auton Invasion. <laughs> Makes way more sense. Isn't way that better next title. season, though?
0: That's... that's the attack of the Autons, isn't it? No. Oh. I saw Autons in a title of next season because I was looking for, like, what we would be doing next
1: after this. But... We'll talk about it next. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. But yeah, the, the Autons, scary as fuck. And probably the inspiration for Michael Myers. <laughs> 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 like, that's all the vibes I was getting.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know if uh, John Carpenter would have seen Doctor Who. Because it's only seven years before Halloween. And also, Halloween wasn't his idea. The The financier of the movie, who I think is a Middle Eastern gentleman was just like, I want a horror movie that takes place all in one day, and I want babysitters. And so he goes, oh, Halloween's one day. It should be on Halloween. And then the rest just kind of came.
0: Well, yeah, they were like the the battle autons or whatever he called them were straight up that.
1: Just creepy. (laughs) Um, Yeah, a lot going on in this. We have to set up uh, or we're establishing a new doctor a new companion, a new monster who's going to recur, and one that's made its way into New Who. So this is the first Octon story. Okay. Um, I didn't tell you that ahead of time. So I didn't know that. And we have to set up kind of a new language for the show, a visual language, because... It's color now. Well, it's color, but it's Earth-based. It's unit-based. I think Spearhead... You could say that the Brigadier is the main character of the story. He He's the yeah. driving force of the narrative.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can see that.
1: Uh, Liz Shaw is just kind of being introduced. So it's a lot of just kind of like personality from her in this one. There's not a lot that she's really doing other than just kind of supporting the doctor once he shows up. Yeah. You know, in the third of four episodes. Yeah. Uh, it's also the shortest episode of this season. Uh, shortest story. It's only four episodes. This I, I kind of
0: like that though. Like right. it, it made it tight. It
1: felt good. It was. It it
0: moved well.
1: Well, and what we have is an outgoing production team. Uh, Derek Sherwin's the producer, and he's he's only the producer for the last for the War Games and this. So he's purposely brought on to be like a transition between two production teams, uh, and so Barry Letts is coming in one of the longest-serving producers. Um, the 70s in general are kind of kind of a state of stability in Doctor Who that, that the 60s never saw. We have longer-running production teams. We have longer-serving companions. We have longer-serving doctors. You know, Pertwee's the Doctor for five years, five seasons, and then Tom Baker goes into the 80s. He's the Doctor for seven seasons.
0: Yeah.
1: And... When we get to the end and we rank the 70s companions like we did in the 60s, there's less, even though there's more of the 70s because Doctor Who didn't start till 63. And because there's almost always, not always, but almost always one companion at a time. And there's none of this like, oh, their one year contract ended. We're moving on with the exception of Liz Shaw, which we'll talk about soon but this is her only season. Oh. She uh, was really cool. Yeah, we'll get into that more, but let's talk about Spearhead. Another thing you wouldn't know, Alex, is due to a like a, a labor strike at the BBC, they couldn't shoot at the BBC studios. So the whole this is the only story in the '80s, or I mean, in classic who that is entirely shot on film, and is entirely shot on location.
0: In that factory, right?
1: Well, just everywhere. Every scene oh. is a location. There's okay. nothing shot in the studio, and it's, so it's kind
0: of cool. It gave it a cool feel. Yeah.
1: yeah, it's also the first story that came out on Blu-ray because it was shot on film at the time. they were like, this is the only one that can come out on Blu-ray because only film can be up-resed. Hmm. And they've learned since then that that's not true. <laughs> that you can do it with video. <laughs> um, so now everything's coming out on Blu-ray. But it it does give it a very interesting feel. Um, one thing I noticed about this story that is different from the 60s and does kind of carry on at least through this season. I'll be interested to watch the rest of the 70s and kind of see if this continues. But a lot of the story is driven by guest stars like we get a lot of scenes between like the bad guys Mm -hmm. talking to each other or like the doctors at the hospital talking to each other and like the general talking to the guy at the factory a lot of scenes cut away from our main cast to push the story forward and then our main cast not really meeting those people until the very end which in the 60s you were never away from the main cast. Yeah. Because everything was shot, like, almost live to tape. Hmm. So, so you can't do that. Yeah. Now everything's on film. It's being shot like a movie. Mm-hmm. And late. not so much this episode, but the rest of the episodes of this season, they would have 10 to 11 days where they would shoot everything that's on location. Uh, 10 or 11 days to shoot everything that's on location for that story. Okay. And apart from this one, every story of the season is seven episodes. Something Barry Letts hated. He hated seven-parters, but this was forced upon them by the previous production team. Oh, okay. So, like, this schedule was already decided before they came on and actually started. Hmm. And then you go into the studio and you shoot all your studio stuff. So, a new thing for the 70s, they're shooting stuff out of order. (laughs) Which, I mean, in in the later 60s, like, they did do out, like, location stuff, you know, uh enemy of the world uh war machines there's a lot of location but not this much
0: right yeah and like you said they had to shoot those in order
1: of when they occur in the episode right in the 60s a lot of yeah yeah because they're well even in this they're shooting it right up to like the third or the last episode of inferno was shot three weeks before it aired so like they still gotta put it in music, they gotta edit oh, it, they gotta wow. all that.
0: And I was gonna mention like what you were saying with Inferno, because you have to obviously shoot all the stuff where everyone has facial hair first. And then <laughs> and then and then you have to split. The
1: Briggs mustache isn't real.
0: What about the dude's goatee?
1: Uh, that obviously was glued on. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fooled me. I thought I thought they
0: like did it all <clears> with like real hair. And then shaved everybody and then did all,
1: like, the evil stuff. That'd be so... Because, like, if you have to go do a reshoot or something and you're just fucked...
0: No, they didn't reshoot back then.
1: (coughs) (laughs) Uh, But what they did have is... New wigs for everybody. (laughs) Liz Shaw, Caroline John, wore a wig the whole time. None of this is her real hair. (laughs) Ever.
0: Even in, uh... Even in Spearhead?
1: Yeah, any scene you see of her in Doctor Who, she's wearing a wig.
0: Man, makeup department coming in MVP, (laughs) potentially.
1: (laughs) Uh, So let's dig into the story a bit. We get kind of the classic Doctor doesn't have his memory, doesn't know what's going on. Um, Spearhead starts with, you know, the meteorites falling, a lot of stories in the woods, like this old crazy man trying to hide one like it's kind of i I get the point of it because you need at some point unit fighting some of the autons like out in the woods Mm -hmm. and you need a reason for them to get there
0: yeah and this guy was just like a klepto like he would just steal shit and so it kind of worked for his character just to take it and be like don't tell anyone
1: (laughs) well you see people looking for it it's yeah. got to be valuable. Yeah. Then after that, you get the, the scene of Liz showing up to Unit, meeting the Brig, just not, like not being into any of it.
0: She was giving me Scully vibes from <laughs> X Files. She's like super smart, can like figure anything out. But when the Brig is like telling her the story of like all this crazy shit that he's seen, she's like, Nah, nah. There's no way. I don't believe you. It was great.
1: I think my favorite shot of this story is when Liz and the brig go to the hospital and they're, like, bombarded by reporters. Like, it was shot in this real realistic style. Like, it's coming from the reporter's handheld cameras. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of cool. It was cool.
0: Yeah. Um, And that picture of the, like, the head auton guy... The picture that the brig got, it was like an over the shoulder picture in that moment when they were arriving. It was cool.
1: And then we just have like the antics of the doctor, you know, being obsessed over his shoes, which we find out is because the TARDIS key's in there. Um, Being in the hospital most of the time, it's 18 minutes into the episode before the doctor speaks to the brig. Hmm. Like, what we want to happen is the two of them meeting and talking. Yeah. And then it ends with the doctor flying down a hill in a wheelchair and then getting <laughs> shot in the woods.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that was crazy. But he didn't actually get shot. Like, it grazed him or something?
1: Yeah. But we don't... But it, yeah, the cliffhanger is...
0: Yeah. that was That was cool.
1: I have one note for all of episode two. And it's that the montage of the dolls being made in the baby doll factory is horrific. Yeah, it's creepy. I
0: know. I, I wrote down um, doll making is creepy. <laughs> and I think it still is creepy. Like I've seen uh videos of like doll makers and man, no, no, thank you.
1: Just, like, pulling the heads out of the machine that makes them. Like, obviously, they're in a mold. You have to pull it out. Yeah. But, like, just grabbing them with pliers and pulling them out. God.
0: Well, and then the, like, the needles to put the hair in and do the eyes. Like, no thanks.
1: (laughs) Um, This is the first of three doctors to seal their clothes from a hospital. Do you know the other two? One of the episodes you haven't seen.
0: (laughs) Was... Was Matt Smith walking through a hospital? Yes. Okay. So that was one.
1: Yeah. And then it's in the TV movie, The Eighth Doctor also steals his clothes from a hospital. Okay. Because in that one, Sylvester McCoy shows up in the beginning as the doctor and is shot by some street toughs. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I haven't actually seen the TV movie yet. Um, But like just steps out of the TARDIS like, ah, isn't this nice? And then just. Jeez. (laughs) Um, So he's taken to the hospital. Where he regenerates. But anyway, I lied. I do have more notes. It is 19 minutes into the second episode before the doctor is the doctor again. So we it's when he finally shows up at unit and he's like himself. He still doesn't have his memory, but he's like being the character that he's going to be. And
0: he's dressed. Yep. In the, and he and, had, he and he stole that car,
1: right? Stole that car. Um, I really like that scene because he shows up and immediately bonds with Liz as like us versus the brig. Yeah, and it's just there immediately. There's the little like, do I have to keep calling you Doctor Shaw? And she's like, no, Liz. And he gives her like a really flirty kind of laugh, <laughs> and it's like, oh, Liz it is then. Well, Which
0: they're they're both they're both scientists, and they they bond. On that, I feel like it was it was more of a like, there's a problem that we both really want to figure out type feel. And that was when that was the first time he learned that there was something weird going on. Because he was looking at the plastic. Well, yeah,
1: she's got all of her rig up because she's trying to determine this, the the properties of this material.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Which like, that's what we did. Like my whole senior chemistry class in high school was like for the whole second half of the year we're going to give you these random materials and you have to figure out what it is Hmm. based on like what temperature it burns at like what happens if you put it in acid like if you do x to it does it turn this color or this color like you know that's cool yeah and I, i like the whole time the doctor's like explaining to the brig What's been going on in his life? Mm-hmm. He's just looking at all the experiment, like all of Liz's work. Yeah. And he's just like kind of clocking it. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, outside of this, we have the whole kind of side plot that we talked about a minute ago of like the general getting a plastic mock up of himself in Madame Tussauds, which A, those are wax, not plastics. I don't know why he's at a plastic <laughs> factory. And B, did they make a habit in the 70s of putting military personnel?
0: I I don't know. That whole thing was weird. Because even the doctor, when he got to the place, is like, oh, it's just a bunch of political people. And don't they normally do it for people that are dead? Like, not still living? No, no, no. Oh. Well, that's, that's news to me.
1: I've been to the one in Los Angeles. Uh, but yeah, it's all just celebrities. But this was 50 years ago. Yeah. Who knows? And I know in other podcasts they always bring that up, so I don't think they did.
0: But yeah, that's still creepy. Like, wax dolls, plastic dolls, life-size anything. No thank you. Still creepy.
1: And then episode four, I have no notes and I don't really remember what happened. (laughs) How did it all resolve?
0: Well uh we had all of the copies in the museum come to life and start taking over uh the like political uh spots that they were copies of i guess uh and then we had all of the autons coming alive much like in rose like they're just busting out shooting people Mm -hmm. and then we and then the doctor saw like the 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 consciousness like the the actual thing in the box like that was really gross it was like a plastic bag with meat in it kept pulsating
1: i have no memory i watched this (laughs) yesterday
0: yeah it was it was gross and uh oh and uh at the end uh the 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 head doll guy like hit it with something to make the lid pop off and then a bunch of tentacles came out and started wrapping up the doctor trying to eat it (laughs) so it was like Uh, an octopus I guess
1: yeah well we you know in Rose we see the nesting consciousness which I suppose is just a bigger version of this yeah so yeah 10 out of 10 yeah that (laughs) that was was pretty much it Ottons are proper creepy Yeah. like great visual for a child in fact in Caroline John's Mythmakers interview she was kind of like they're a little too scary for kids like obviously at this point the show's Trying to shoot for a slightly higher a slightly older age group than what the producers at this time were thinking mm-hmm. that was was watching the show. When in reality, they are getting all ages. but this was like Doctor Who's last chance because this the ratings have been really down near the end of uh, Troughton's era so they needed a big change they needed a new actor they needed this to work but it wasn't guaranteed but halfway through this season which was also shorter we went from 42 to 44 episodes a season to 25
0: mm. that's a big cut
1: uh because or halfway through those 25 episodes they got renewed for another season mm. so it it was working and you know part of the reason for that is like, they're trying to make the show seem like other shows that are on the air at the time, you know, military dramas, guns, car chases, you know, fun things for yeah, like a 11, 12, 13 year old to watch. And we'll talk more about that in Inferno because that's when it really kind of starts. Yeah. But around this time, like we saw quite a bit of it at the end of Troughton's era where they're getting like a lot of assistance from the military. Like a lot of trucks, a lot of soldiers, a oh, lot of yeah. like just you, it's okay for you to shoot on this airstrip and there's airplanes it, like parked in the background so it looks legit, that yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but bringing it back to uh, Caroline John's Mythmakers, that fucking guy, the guy doing the interview, whose name I can never remember, brought her to four locations so they could like walk through places where they had shot Doctor Who and talk. All four of them, she had never been to. She did not shoot at those locations. Like, she just wasn't in those scenes.
0: Oh, jeez. And so,
1: and every one of them, it was pouring rain. So she's just miserable. And she's like, I've never been here. (laughs) I don't know why we're here.
0: sucks. (laughs) Why would we do that?
1: So, final impressions of Spearhead.
0: It was good. I liked it. Scary. Solid uh story like i just like the two storylines coming together at the end is good
1: as a first impression for a new doctor like you've seen a couple third doctor stories at this point maybe three Mm -hmm. if if you could somehow remove yourself from that and just think of this as like the first time where would you think you've been if all you've seen is william Hartnell and patrick troughton
0: It, it would definitely be different and i probably wouldn't Like it right away, but I think having the brig there and being such a strong character in this story really helped kind of mold the like the new doctor into the position,
1: yeah. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's very smart to kind of tell the story from the brig's point of view, yes, yeah, because he is a mainstay. I mean, he's been in two stories in the last couple years. Mm -hmm. I think if I were a kid, let's say I was eight. Well, let's say I was 10 in 1969. So I Doctor Who's always been a part of my childhood. Maybe I don't remember the earliest Hartnell stories, but let's just say I've watched it my whole life. I think I'd have a tough time with this change because it's definitely not the show that it was even the previous year. It's very, very different. Not yeah. to say that it's bad, but for... You know, if I was a big fan, I'm like, I want some Doctor Who sitting down watching this for a month. I might be like, well, what the fuck was that? Like, we just stayed on a military base on Earth the whole time.
0: I think in contrast, I, I would probably feel the same way when when we went from Matt Smith to Capaldi, because it's just very different. They're two very different doctors. It oh, took a while to like kind of warm up and enjoy Capaldi. And now I really like him.
1: But that's that's just a doctor. I'm talking about the show.
0: Oh, the show! In like general. I think you can oh.
1: watch from a Rose to the end of season or series ten, It'd
0: and it's all the same
1: feel. It's all one story. Yeah. Like I think there is a big change when Chibnall takes over, and I think a lot of people do butt up against that. For me, it was hard. Like I didn't have a problem with um with the actors or or with Jodie. But the show was really different. And it was kind of my second watch through when we we're doing it for the podcast that I was like, by that point I was in and mm-hmm. I got what they're doing. So then going back and watching those series eleven episodes, you see it differently when you can see kind of the whole but when there's a drastic change, it it's gonna feel weird.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> and I will say, um, you know, I have seen a few of this Doctor already, and this episode felt very consistent to the way it was shot in his performance uh, with the other ones that I've seen, which is amazing that he hit it so right on the first story. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's just so good. And you get this, like we've talked about this James Bond feel from him and it is, he's just a cool doctor.
1: Okay. It's time for Inferno written by Don Houghton. Directed by Douglas Campfield and uncredited Barry Letts, we'll talk about that later. Aired May 9th to June 20th, 1970. We already said it's number 11 in the Doctor Who poll. What'd you think of Inferno?
0: I liked it. Um, I've... I will say I liked Spearhead better than Inferno. Purely based on the length of the story. Like seven episodes is kind of awkward and um i did feel there were some kind of just like droning and filler episodes in this story which we didn't have in spearhead because it just had to it had to go
1: yeah spearhead had a lot to do
0: yeah um but overall still a really great story um like oh my god the the actors that they got to play the assholes like really made (laughs) me hate them they were so good I guess the one actor. <laughs> is there more than one asshole in this?
1: Yeah. So this is like a pretty. Pretty big cast. um, Just in general, because there's a lot of soldiers, but pretty small. When it comes to, like the big speaking parts, but. um Yeah, Professor Stallman, Olaf Pooley. He's the guy you're talking about. Yeah, he's great. Sutton. Um, Derek Newark, who's kind of the main character of this episode. Yeah. It's kind of his episode. Yeah. He fucking crushes. Uh
0: Uh-huh. He was, he was great.
1: And then, um, here's a fun fact for you I didn't write down. Um, Petra, who's kind of like the assistant to, uh, Stallman, who is, um, Sutton is kind of sweet on. Yeah. I really hate when they have two main characters, like, both have similar names. Stallman, Sutton... Like, come on, make it Johnson and Abercrombie. (laughs) Like, make them crazy different. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. Petra was originally supposed to be played by Kate Omara, who is the Ronnie. Oh. But she had like a scheduling conflict, so the director, Douglas Canfield, cast his wife, Sheila Dunn, to play Petra. And then I was I was telling you. Barry Letts had to direct some of this. That's because Douglas Canfield suddenly became very ill. He had a heart problem that he didn't know about. And so he just like collapsed Well, on on set. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Had to be taken to the hospital. Barry Letts, the showrunner, the producer, took over. He had some directing experience. He'd been a director for a couple of years. I think he did a good job making it look like douglas canfield would have made it look barry letts in the dvd is like oh i can totally tell which stuff i shot because it sucks (laughs) and you know he's very nice and then canfield asked him like please don't tell anybody why i was in the hospital because no one will ever hire me again oh geez. and so they didn't tell anyone kept it secret wow i mean they it got out that he was in the hospital but they didn't say why
0: yeah but like you can't have a heart condition and be a director (laughs)
1: It's long hours, it's tough, it's hard, it's exhausting. I suppose. So another thing they say on the DVD is that the story came, they liked it, but they needed seven episodes. And the story they were getting was way too slow for seven episodes. So then it was script editor, Terrence Dix, who was like, hey, what if there's an alternate world? where we can actually because he's saying we always see these threats of that they're gonna destroy the world yeah and we never actually see the earth get destroyed because then we wouldn't have a show anymore yeah so let's see the earth get destroyed and let's see what would happen if the mad scientist got his way Mm. and so he's like alternate reality doctor goes there we spend like four episodes over there it's so like i don't know what script came up without that because it's so much (laughs) of the story
0: yeah Yeah, that's that's a really man they need to pay that man like without (laughs) without that like this story is just kind of meh
1: he's one of the most prolific doctor who personalities ever like he him and barry Letts were on the show for a long time even when they weren't on the show in their roles that they have at this point they contributed often hmm. um, in various ways that we'll talk about other days. Terrence Dix did more of the target novelizations than anybody. Hmm. He also wrote a whole bunch of books and he was on, he's on all of the DVDs because <laughs> he's, I mean, he passed away a couple years ago, um, but he's, you know, Dr. Who fans refer to him as uncle Terry. They also, they love like his stories. The fact that he always tells the same stories and like when <laughs> yeah. he goes to conventions, everyone knows every word he's going to say, but everyone loves it. They know half of his stories are bullshit and they just don't <laughs> care because he's just so likable.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: Also, he hired this writer because it was a guy who gave him one of his first jobs. So then when he was taking over his script editor, that guy was like calling him constantly <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> give me a job. Yeah. So... Getting into the story a bit here, in episode one, we find out Big Drill. Yeah. (laughs) Another thing Terrence Dix used to always say, in these Earth-based episodes, all you can have, like, there's only so many stories you can write, it's Alien Invasion, like Technology Run Amok, or Mad Scientist. That's it. So this one's Mad Scientist. And I... I think it's not even the only story of this season that has a big drill. Because there's a Silurian episode in this season, too, where the Silurians are introduced. And I think that's because of a big drill. Because
0: of a drill, yeah.
1: Uh, So here's what I got. Bad guy boss skips on safety. Green goo possesses a man. The doctor's there for reasons. That's it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it seemed like the doctor, like... I'm curious, you watch this whole season. Is he always just trying to fix the TARDIS in the background?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, you know, people love Inferno. We just said it's number 10 mm-hmm. on all, like, of all the classic Doctor Who stories. It's my least favorite of this season. Really? Like, oh. it, because I, I, I watched the whole season. It's also, you know, we're doing this for a Liz Shaw episode. It's the least Liz Shaw we're gonna get because she spends almost all of it not playing Liz Shaw or our Liz Shaw, right? Yeah. The other two, she gets so much to do. It's fantastic, but that's not what we're doing. We're doing first and last episodes, and those those other two are just more more of like what I want in my Pert Doctor Who. Oh, this one has a lot of the stuff. It's just once you know that they're. I mean when they're in an alternate reality and you know the show's not going to end there's no stakes hmm. cuz like all literally that world explodes who cares <laughs> yeah <laughs> like all that mattered was that the doctor had to get away and we knew he would so
0: yeah i i, I was kind of watching to see if you would do like the well i can i can't bring you to the future earth but i could bring you somewhere else. Cause like if the TARDIS is working, he could theoretically go to a different planet, but maybe he was still right. stuck on the planet. I yeah, I don't know.
1: But he also like so the Lords didn't just make the TARDIS not work. They took away his knowledge of the TARDIS. Is oh. what they said. His knowledge of time travel. Mm. So he doesn't really know what he's doing.
0: Gotcha. Hmm. Interesting.
1: So yeah, the doctor's there to use the power from the nuclear generator that they're using for this drill to try to power the TARDIS console. Yeah. And then all of my notes for episode two are the drill goes wrong a few times, everyone argues, the mutant guy dies, a new mutant guy shows up, and then, oh, Liz, of course he's trying to get rid of you. <laughs> the doctor ghosts.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's pretty, I think this was around the time where the filler started coming in.
1: Well, it's, episode two is a lot of introducing all the characters that are working on the drill. Because episode one is you have to introduce the drill, the place, why the doctor's there, why the brig is there. Some fun between Liz and the doctor. Then episode two is here's all the pieces. There's Sutton, he's the bad guy. There's Sir Keith, he's like the smart or he's like the sensible person who mm. brings in Sutton. I think I called Stallman Sutton. Stallman's the bad guy. Who brings in Sutton, who's like the expert. He's our uh Ian for this one. He's our tough guy. Yeah. Voice of reason. Beats up the Brigadier. Yeah. Like, come on, Brig. <laughs> in episode three, I was going to ask you. How long after the Doctor lands and we find out what happened, before you clock that it's an alternate Earth?
0: Uh, I think it was right when we saw... The evil scientist guy. What was his name?
1: It's still Stallman. Stallman. But now he's Director Stallman instead of Professor Stallman.
0: Yeah, when we saw him and he was shaved and <laughs> like and he was
1: shaved like an animal.
0: Yeah. <laughs> he didn't have any facial hair and well, and then the doctor was just getting shot at immediately. <laughs> right. So, yeah, something was up and I was and I wrote down alternate universe question <laughs> mark where everyone shaved. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think because I know sci-fi and I know Doctor Who. The first time I saw this, as soon as he wakes up and the ridiculously long bookshelf full of books isn't in that room anymore. First of all, why is that there? Like, the doctor and Liz have been there for like a couple of weeks, maybe. Yeah. You don't need a hundred (laughs) books.
0: He's fixing a TARDIS, man. He needs all his
1: manuals.
0: (laughs) All the different systems, he's got to know.
1: Also, what's Liz doing? Like everything he's doing is mechanical. He doesn't need a scientist. He needs an engineer.
0: Maybe she's a little engineer-y.
1: She's a meteorite expert.
0: Yeah, but this was like after she's traveled with the doctor, so maybe she's picked she up. She ain't some
1: things. traveled. Well, they don't travel. Worked with. <laughs> she, as far as I know, because I watched those other two episodes, never even goes into the TARDIS. And I could be wrong on there. There could be a scene. Where, like, she walks in and is like, oh my, it's so big in here, and then comes out, but they don't, like, show her in the TARDIS um, set, because I don't even know if they have one, (laughs) because they sure don't show it. Yeah. So instead of having a TARDIS set for the season, they pull a console out and just bring it around (laughs) and fuck with it. Hmm. Uh, Another thing we see at this point, now that we're on the alternate alternate earth is a lot of stunts and this is the introduction of havoc which is a stunt team or business like stuntman uh company yeah that was working on doctor who a lot during this time and they're on the dvds talking about it and they're all great Hmm. and so like they have a guy when when the doctor shows up and he's running away from everybody, like he's driving Betsy and some dude just jumps on the car and the doctor's like fighting him while driving. John Pertwee's really driving this car. Yeah. And there's one point where like he has to throw the dude off, but he's still got one hand on the wheel and he's still driving. And then that dude jumps off the car into like a bale of hay. And then there's a jump like uh, the doctor goes up to the top of something benton says shoot as soon as you see him and then the mutant guy comes out and they shoot him and he falls yeah that was a 90 foot free fall onto cardboard <laughs> boxes Jeez. and so so they have these guys and they use them a lot so there's a lot of like barry Letts, a producer like hates violence he's like uh he's a buddhist and oh. um so he's like he doesn't really like scripts that have a lot of gratuitous violence so they get these scripts and then terrence dicks grabs the the head of Havoc and is like, where can we just put in stunts? Because they just want guns. They want dudes falling off things. They want car chases. Like, they're making the show so that teenagers will want to watch it because there's yeah. fun shit in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Does uh, Pertwee do all of his stunts? Because yeah. he, he, he was ins- in that
1: wheelchair too, right? He insists. There was one stunt in this that he was... Like, the one time anyone ever saw him nervous is when he was up at the top of that thing um, fighting that mutant guy mm-hmm. because he's very afraid of heights.
0: Oh, okay. And they, they
1: said he gets vertigo.
0: Okay. Like he when he like sprayed it with the thing and it fell off? <laughs> yeah, the most conveniently
1: yeah. placed fire extinguisher.
0: <laughs> no, I clocked that early in an earlier episode when they were up there. Yeah. Like there were just fire extinguishers everywhere. <laughs> so weird. No, like, I wonder, I mean, it was cool, uh i guess continuity placement for me like noticing that but yeah no him doing all those stunts like just in the in spearhead when he was in the the wheelchair going down the hill like if he beefed it and just like shredded his face down that hill (laughs) right like the show's over (laughs) (laughs) I, I, i don't understand how they let him do that it's just wild
1: well, we'll see in later seasons. He just hops up motorcycles and leaves. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Oh, man. Uh, there, There is a shot in the er, early episodes where the doctor and the brig go up to the top of one of those things, those platforms. And uh, Douglas Canfield's got a really good shot because there's great scenery in the background. And the brig comes up to the foreground and the doctor's in the background with both of his hands firmly on the rail. Because <laughs> John Pertwee is not letting go of that rail. Uh. <laughs> and then... In, a, in that scene where he fights that mutant, he has to kind of, like, walk around across his gangplank from one platform to the other, and the stunt guy was just like, just look at me, like, at my face, and you can see he's, like, staring straight ahead, mm. just, like, right at this dude and not looking down or anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I was impressed, like, in that, even in that chase scene, because, um, Pertwee's running and then, like, leaning heavy on, like, th- all the railings and shit, and I was like, If one of those railings is just rusty and he goes over, that's... that's
1: (laughs) I'm sure that was all checked. Yeah,
0: well, I'm sure, but man.
1: In fact, at the top of that platform, the one guy was saying that... um, Because there's one guy up there who wasn't... Like, the actor playing the mutant wasn't a stuntman. And then the stuntman did, like, the fall and the fight. But the actor had to run around up there, and there's a hole that was, like, a 20-foot drop. And they just put, like, a couple pieces of wood on top of it. <laughs> and they're like, you're good to go. <laughs> Jeez. My only note for episode four is episode four is boring as shit.
0: <laughs> yep, that was uh, was about the same.
1: So in episode five?
0: That that was the only note I had, was <laughs> filler episode. They, they're breaking through the crust.
1: <laughs> yeah, so at the end of episode four, they succeed. The crust is broken. The earth is doomed. You know, that's the cliffhanger. Yeah. And then episode five is just chaos.
0: Yeah, I wrote down world ending.
1: I put the guy that plays um, Sutton, he does like a scene with Petra. It's just the two of them. And he's acting his ass off. Like, I'm sure that's on his reel.
0: This was at the end, right? Yeah. Like when they were when everything was going to explode. And he's like. The world's over. What more could you do? Yeah, he's
1: like, damn it, woman. Yeah. Oh,
0: man. He was killing in that scene.
1: That and Benton's transformation into a mutant was really cool.
0: Oh, I think I missed that. I must have blinked.
1: (laughs) And then episode six is just all about... Like, the team coming together to get the Doctor back to his reality before the Earth explodes.
0: Yeah, and then having to, like fight or kill the brig to to let him leave like everyone else is like go doctor and he's just like no you're bringing me with and like they had to did they shoot him or liz shot him liz shot the brig
1: liz shot the brigade leader
0: the brigade leader yeah
1: i do like um caroline john gets some good scenes in this one she gets both talking to the brigade leader and being like super sarcastic about like this seriousness of their situation and just kind of being a dick to him. And then, you know, it's kind of cutting between both Earths. And there's her and Sutton inside the hangar while like the doctor's not there. And she's just kind of hoping he'll come back and Sutton comes to like see what's up. Yeah. And she's like being really kind of sarcastic with him too, but also kind of flirty. And, like, she's kind of being, like, all sultry and weird. And it's a really weird scene. Yeah.
0: Well, in that scene, I, like, realized, oh, this is her last story. Like, does she get fresh with Sutton and, like, leaves the doctor (laughs) to go be with him? Like, is this the end? But no. (laughs) It was not
1: that. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, I think she gets some good scenes in, in this episode. It's not really the best story for uh, for the character of Liz, just because I mean we said it before, she's mostly alternate Earth Liz, who's cool. And Caroline John was like, yeah, it's fun. You get to be the bad guy. Like, why isn't that? Yeah, like what a great story. Um, she's also uh secretly pregnant during the shooting of this story. Oh
0: wow! And with those outfits, you can't really be that secret about it.
1: <laughs> right. She had like a- again another reason. I I'd ra- I like the other two episodes better. Tons of great Liz outfits, mm-hmm. and because and we'll watch them one day. But she every interview with her is about like how shitty it was to shoot on these locations and how like it's grimy and dirty and wet and she has to, like pee in a bucket and there's rats oh, everywhere because there's no bathrooms in any of these places. They're all like abandoned, yeah, like uh, m- like power plants, Jeez. and she's just like, and you have to look hot the whole time so like i have to wear these clothes i got this hair i got these fucking like thigh high boots on and i it sucks because like it's the least glamorous feeling place to be working but you have to be glamorous like the boys are running around and rolling in the dirt and shooting each other and she just has to like be good looking yeah and it's she's like it sucks Hmm. my last note of episode six so sutton and the brig have their fight which ends with liz shooting uh the brig but my note was i miss ian fights because (laughs) these guys are swinging at each other like 14 feet away from each other's faces yeah and they're just bad yeah like give me ian's silent knife fights
0: (laughs) (laughs) where they're rolling around uh i will say the 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 actor that plays the brig plays a really good bad guy Nicholas Courtney, like put a scar and a patch on that boy and he will look menacing as fuck. (laughs) It was great.
1: And he's just like the nicest and jolliest man. Yeah. They love telling stories about Nicholas Courtney on these DVD extras because he's like the perfect straight man for comedy. And the actor, Nicholas Courtney, talks about like how important the comedy of Doctor Who was and the comedy of The Brig. But the Brig, what's funny about him is how serious he is about everything. Yeah. So he's saying ridiculous things in a serious way, and that's what makes it funny. And Nicholas Courtney understood that. And then you know, playing off of John Pertwee, who's a fucking maniac, and yep. then later Tom <laughs> Baker, yeah, who's the most maniac. <laughs> they tell stories in the DVD of like, you know, he'd walk into a room to shoot something, and everyone would have an eye patch on to like kind of make fun of him. <laughs> and he just had no reaction and just started doing the scene <laughs> and then everyone else would start laughing because he was like impossible to break he just he just never broke that's awesome he's just like fuck you guys how about this <laughs> i'm better than you <laughs> and then episode 7 is like i expected it to be just the doctor fighting to get the drill stopped the whole time but he doesn't even wake up until 10 minutes and 30 seconds into the episode. And it's actually, like, really easy <laughs> to get everyone to be like, oh, we'll just shut the drill off.
0: Yeah. Well, and it helps that the uh, the mad scientist actually turned into a beast or whatever that was. Yeah. And they're
1: like, oh, he's crazy. <laughs> he's literally a monster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then it ends with, liz getting like one last good line in where she's kind of giving the brig some shit Mm -hmm. and that's i can't remember the exact line but that's what my note says and it's a great note to go out on
0: yeah i thought it was cool um i wasn't expecting like the goodbye to be so abrupt like there wasn't really any like preamble and stuff like that it was just bye liz bye brig and then like he leaves but then there's a the whole joke about him right. landing in a trash pile but yeah i don't know
1: final thoughts on inferno what'd you think of this one
0: still good it like it was really good i don't like it more than spearhead but it, it it's a very solid episode it's just too long yeah i would agree
1: but well did you watch all 11 of these episodes today
0: no, I watched one last night, and I was like, if I don't go to bed now, I'm just going to fall asleep. So I went to bed early. I went to bed at like 10.30 on a Friday, <laughs> so I could get up early Saturday and just
1: watch them. You just watched 10 episodes of Doctor Who today. It was
0: good, man.
1: All right. It was great. I, yesterday, I watched Spearhead while I was working, but I had also watched it about a month ago Okay. to get ready for this.
0: Oh, yeah. You watched the whole season.
1: Well, it, I didn't watch Inferno when I did that. I just watched the other three. Oh, okay. And then... Last night, I watched the first three of Inferno, Mm -hmm. and then I was getting a little droopy-eyed. And so I I watched the other four, and the special features, and Caroline John's Mythmakers today. Jeez. I also, yesterday, because we went golfing yesterday, Mm -hmm. I also listened to, I think is the only big finish that has Liz Shaw in it as a character that's voiced by an actor it's like there's the companion chronicles for big finish are ones where like one companion just kind of tells a short story and does so it's like Caroline ford will be playing susan and then but she's telling the story so she's like oh and then my grandfather was like come on susan but she's saying it's not like they have an actor doing the doctor oh so it has all the characters in it so that's she's in some of those but this is, I think, the only one so far to come out where Liz is voiced by Caroline John's daughter. Okay. And it was really good. It was called Primoid. It was a direct sequel to Inferno, but takes place, like, a couple years later. So it's the doctor and Joe Grant go to a university where Liz Shaw's working to help her with a problem because she's experimenting with that green goo to create mm. the Primoid monsters. And it's a, it, it was a really good story. Is that what those beasts were called? Primoids? They're only called that in the script. They're I don't oh, think they're said in the okay. episode. They're working on right now and coming out soon are some adventures with Liz and um, Sarah Jane. And both characters are being voiced by the daughters of those actors
0: so do the daughters of these actors like is it just them talking normally or do they have to try and do an accent that their mom was doing at the time
1: well it's hard to say i'm not great with accents i mean they also had someone doing a third doctor impression because he's dead as well yeah um and he was doing a pretty good job sometimes it would look they lost it they also had someone doing the brig and he was great Mm. sounded just like him Um, Liz Shaw's accent's not really thick. It's kind of, there's not really much of an accent there, so it wasn't, it wasn't that hard. I think her voice isn't as deep as her mom's was, um, so it's kind of hard for me to say. I haven't heard, um, Elizabeth Slayton's daughter doing her yet, so I don't know. But anyway, let's talk a bit about Liz Shaw. We talked about it a lot in the, when watching the 60s and going over 60s Companions, that there were no adult women. Like, they're all girls, teenagers, yeah. or early 20s, like, um, um, Polly. Mm-hmm. This is someone who, for the first time since Barbara, is like an adult established woman who has a career and is like respected in her community for her work. Something that you would have to assume she's at least in her mid 30s. Yeah. I have no idea how old Caroline John was at this point, but for her to have these doctorates and to have established herself in her field up to this point, she'd well, have to be about at least that old.
0: And to be called upon by Unit to
1: like sequestered.
0: Yeah, like as a as an expert in the field. Like that's right. takes time, yeah.
1: And she kind of has a very different distinction than companion because she they they say in that big finish that i listened to you know joe grant is like oh she was your assistant before me and the doctor's like she wasn't really my assistant she was hired to do my job and then i showed up and kind of did it and she was just like also there (laughs) and we worked together so So, so there's
0: kind of a co-worker then
1: well there is like if you watch talk shows and stuff Uh, With the actors around this time. So I frequently called the doctor's companion the assistant around this time. And that would carry on for a while. And those two words are kind of interchangeable. Um, She's not the doctor's assistant. She doesn't ever travel in the TARDIS. So she's kind of singular in that fashion. Yeah. So people debate like what makes a companion a companion. Like we...
0: We've always said travel in the TARDIS. Well,
1: I've always said... The person who's credited in, like, the publicity of the show is the companion. Oh, well, yeah. That's why we didn't do Sarah Kingdom. We didn't do the other one. And we didn't. (laughs) Like, we're not going to include the brig or the unit people. That's why. But he was in the credits. (laughs) Right. But in the publicity for the show, it's the doctor and the assistant. They say it's John Perry and it's Caroline John oh so like that's why when we do some of our quizzes in *Mary to who i don't include captain jack i don't include river song i don't include mickey sometimes but i will include rory mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's you know it, it just because they travel that's not enough for me a lot of people that they'll say that yeah. travel with the doctor in the tardis for multiple episodes that's enough um so I count her because she's, Doctor Who is always at least a two-hander. There's the Doctor and the Companion. Sometimes it's more than one Companion, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And okay. then, you know, you can, the unit stuff you can classify however you want. So I have no problem saying Lisha is a Companion because she's publicized as the female lead of the show.
0: Yeah. It is kind of cool, though, that she's like, because after I assume after the season, the the TARDIS becomes fixed and then they start traveling around everywhere again. So she's kind of in her own league as like that homebody companion, I guess, like never left Earth, really, you know, that's kind of cool.
1: Kind of the bummer about Liz Shaw is that it is just the one season because she is so unique it would be fun to see this character get to do some other things like one complaint you could have about this season it is these four stories are very like samey they're very similar because they'd have to be you know in a la- in the silurian one instead of the primoids it's the silurians like there's not a huge difference and instead of the doc or instead of uh you know people getting ill with this weird goo Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there's a disease that's unleashed by the silurians it's it's a lot of very similar stuff and caroline john and myth makers kind of said the same thing like you know it's really (laughs) kind of a lot of the same
0: i mean if you got a good story Keep it rolling.
1: <laughs> but it's just a bummer that she only got one season. And she does say in her Myth Makers that her contract was story to story. She didn't even have a one-year contract. It was like seven episodes at a time. Weird. Right? And hmm. also because she didn't audition. She was offered the role. Oh. So maybe that was... Like, she was kind of always seen as temporary. And so there's like, hey, can you just come do this? And then we'll just kind of see how long we want to do it for. But.
0: Kind we, of sucks for her, though. Yeah.
1: Well, we mentioned that she was pregnant while shooting. Oh, uh, yeah. So according to her, Caroline John. Like, she went out to lunch with Barry Letts and then said, P.S., I'm five months pregnant. While, while they were on their break between seasons and she says like he almost fainted. I've heard interviews with production people where they're saying we were all like we were on our way to call her in to tell her we weren't renewing her contract yeah. when she told us she was pregnant. So, who knows the reality of any of that, but yeah. There is quite a change between Caroline John and Katie Manning, so they very clearly wanted to go a different direction. For sure. Caroline John worked a lot the rest of her life. Like, she she worked her career in a very specific way. Because once she started having a family, she didn't want to take any jobs that were going to be really long. Mm -hmm. Like, series regulars or movies that you're on set for six months. So, she did a lot of, like, one episode on a TV show. Like, a guest star. Or some shows that were only, like, six episodes for a season. She did a couple of those some tv movies but she worked constantly but just like i did four episodes of tv this year but enough to keep her career going but also be at home as much as she could she also married jeffrey beavers who was the master he played the master in an episode in one episode oh but a sense played him a lot in big finish like a lot a lot nice and he he's still with us and working on Big Finish stuff a lot. Uh, she passed away in 2012 at, like, I want to say she was, like, 72. Pretty Jeez. young. Yeah. So in this MythMakers interview, which was, like, 94, I think, um, she was saying that she had been turning down all the conventions once those started being a thing. And then her husband got mad at her because she turned down one in America that was, like... Buko dollars it was a lot of money and she yeah. said no but because nicholas courtney and this is all from her words on this interview nicholas courtney was telling her about he went to atlanta to do a convention and three women met him at the airport dressed up as the brig and she was like <laughs> i can't deal that's too much crazy like <laughs> and then
0: she got a shift on <laughs>
1: But then she tells a fun story about how the BBC had to contact her for, like, some rights she had to agree to so they could come out with, like, a VHS copy of something. Mm -hmm. And so she wrote them back, like, yeah, that's fine. But, like, hey, can you send me a VHS? Like, that'd be cool. And they did. And so she watched, I think, Ambassadors of Death, which is the other before story that we haven't been talking about. Maybe it was the Silurian one. It was one of those two. But she watched it in, like you know 89 90 whatever it was and she was like oh this is actually kind of good like i (laughs) she always just had this like fear that she was bad in them yeah but she watched and she's like oh i'm actually kind of proud of how i did and so then she like wasn't scared anymore of the conventions Mm -hmm. so she went to one and i've seen i've seen it on youtube uh one of the conventions she was at and just like like huge flows of positivity towards her from the fans like you know conventions yeah like everyone's super excited yeah yeah and she was just like like so many actors we see talk about these in their myth makers interviews she was just like super blown away by how mm-hmm. good of a time and how positive of an experience it was
0: yeah that seems to be a reoccurring theme <laughs> with just people that work on the show they don't realize how good it was while they're making it
1: right well because they look back and they're like we shot it in a fucking closet and it was miserable and they
0: never watched the finished product right
1: well they maybe did at the time but people don't like to watch themselves especially in the moment and they're like all i do is scream the whole time (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh also when she started doing the conventions like her youngest child at that point was 16 Mm -hmm. so it's like like some other people we've seen who it's like, you know, they take a break to raise a family, and then it's like, okay, they're they're out of here now. Now it's time to go make some money on the right. <laughs> convention circuit. Yeah. So Alex, yeah, I was really excited to dip into some Lisha. Um, going to be a bummer when we eventually rank all the seventies companions, mm-hmm. because she's gonna be near the bottom. Not because she's bad, but because everyone else is so iconic.
0: I can see that. I mean,
1: we've got the next two we're doing are Joe Grant and Sarah Jane Smith. Like, yeah, where where are you going to who you passing (laughs) there, Liz Shaw? So we're going to we'll talk about it when we do it then. But she's going to be in the bottom half. And it's not her fault. It's the just the. You know, it's like batting eighth on the Yankees in name a year when the Yankees were good. I don't know. I, this is a metaphor that is falling apart. <laughs> I don't know anything about baseball. <laughs> it's like being the eighth batter in a really good team where if you were batting on a different team, you'd be third or fourth. Anyway. What are your final thoughts on Lisha?
0: She's great. I really liked her. I uh. When she got on the screen and started interacting with the doctor in Spearhead, like, I just wrote down, like, Liz is cool. (laughs) Like, she just has this cool vibe. I really like the character.
1: Yeah. And we won't really see, you know, they've done the super smart character before. Zoe was Mm -hmm. one. And then um, you could kind of say, you know, Vicky was at least from the future. So she had just some general knowledge of things. They won't really do this again. There's going to be Romana... Who's a Time Lord. She doesn't count. Like, she's a companion... But, like... Okay. But what they won't do again... Is just, like... The scientist companion. Who just... Is able to... And and maybe it's a... It's, like, because of the situation. So, in, in this season... The Doctor says something that's maybe ridiculous sounding, sci-fi jargon. And then Liz turns to the Brig and then explains it in a way that's easier for the audience. So maybe without that tertiary character to have to go that extra level for, it's not necessary. So that if you get Joe Grant, who's a little less interested in the scientific mumbo jumbo Mm -hmm. the doc should like the doctor will say something she'll just flat out say huh (laughs) and then he has (laughs) to say it again in a way that's easier to understand yeah so it's a bummer that we don't get that again it's a bummer that her time was so short but uh joe grant's next so what do i fucking care she's my favorite
0: (laughs) yeah i was gonna say you gotta be pretty pumped
1: so for next time We're going to be watching Joe Grant's first and last stories. Ooh. Her first one is Terror of the Autons. That's not how you say words. Her first one is Terror of the Autons. We get another Auton story. We just watched one. I like it. And... She's on the show for three seasons. So... It's not like Liz Shaw where we just watched half of her stories yeah. or some, a lot of the companions in the sixties who just aren't there for that long. She's there for a long time. She gets a lot of stories. Terror of the Autons is four episodes. Her last story is six episodes. It is the green death.
0: Okay. Boom.
1: So on behalf of myself, Jake, my brother, Alex, thank you for listening. Please join us next time.
0: For Joe Grant. Grant.